Coming up on Golf Today, past the sunblock as the PGA Tour is enjoying another week in paradise, this time at the Sony Open in Hawaii. What is the recipe for success at Wileye? A live report is coming your way. And the sweet swinging Adam Scott crosses a milestone in his career. But what is the state of his game ahead of the Sony? What does he want and what can he still get done? And the busy Tom Doak is about to get busier. The renowned architect on the cusp of building Pinehurst number 10. Before he hops in that tractor, he hops on the program. Coming up on Golf Today. Golf Today. And the PGA Tour completes its two-week stretch in Hawaii as Wildlife Country Club in the state capital of Honolulu plays host this week's tournament, the Sony Open in Hawaii. Love those beautiful shots. Many more to come. This is Golf Today. Damon Ack alongside Eamon Lynch. And buddy, this is the first full field event of 2023. I, I feel a sense of urgency. So the players feel a sense of urgency. It's not the first event of the season. They do, because some guys are trying to maintain momentum that they built up in the first eight, nine events of, of the PGA Tour season. They don't want to lose that. Other guys are trying to hit a reset button because they didn't have any momentum Good point. in the fall. This is a time to be opportunistic out here. So while there might be this relaxed island vibe that we see around the golf course this week, a lot of guys are, are hungry. How about that, Paige McKenzie, who joins us on this Wednesday? Isn't every week, isn't there a sense of urgency for a professional golfer? How do you balance that? Uh, it's just a great question. And I, I feel like early part of the season, and if you didn't have a fall, good, uh, good fall portion of the season, it certainly feels that way when you're getting off of a break that the players did have. And I especially look at those younger players coming up or the players that were Corn Ferry Tour graduates that are really trying to make the most of it. And if you are in a position where you can improve your status throughout the season, uh, now is the time to take advantage. No question. Every week presents an opportunity this week. Wildlife Country Club hosts the first full field PGA Tour event, calendar year 2023, and you can catch first round coverage of the Sony Open tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Golf Channel. Taking a look at the highest ranked players in the field, you got some A-listers. That's Sony, Jordan Spieth, and Tom Kim among them. Hideki Matsuyama, the defending champ, Billy Horsley's always a fascinating watch. And yesterday, our own Todd Lewis caught up with the world number 15. Jordan, you played well here at the Sony before. What challenges does this golf course offer you? Well, I think coming off of last week, you know, it's so different that you really, you really got to think through how you're going to play the golf course because you can either take it on super aggressively and it could pay off, but it could also, you know, mean a short week or you could play it kind of the way that it's designed to be played, which is taking driver out of your hands a lot and then trying to work on a lot of distance control from 160 yards and in. So um, the difficulty is in your decision and sticking to a game plan. And from there, you've got to execute some really, really nice shots off the tee to give yourself those fairway shots into the greens. You know, last year, you worked so hard on your swing. I paid off. You won at Hilton Head. How much freedom do you have with your swing right now? Um, I think I'm looking to certainly make some improvements. Um, it's not hasn't been where I really want it to be, but I've been able to have periods of some really nice ball striking times. But this year's, for me, it's more about consistency, trying to be a really consistent tee to green player and then put a lot more emphasis on the putting. And I feel like I've made some good strides on, with the putter and kind of waiting for it to really get hot and stay hot. So um, I, I just want to have a lot more consistent year, um, have more chances on the weekend. The chances I did have, I took advantage of this last year, but um, Definitely less chances than I'm used to in a really good solid year. All right, we're going to broaden out, get a little philosophical with Jordan. All right, you got 13 wins on the PGA Tour. You got three major championships, and all before the age of 30, you're turning 30 this year. What brings you joy and excitement as a professional right now? Uh, I think for me, it's playing with freedom. It's feeling like I'm teeing it up, saying I'm really excited about what I'm working on. I know that it can produce today and I'm going to swing freely at targets, and if I mis-execute, I mis-execute, but I'm not going to shy away from anything, and I think that kind of freedom is something the past 10 years you know, has allowed me to have um, over maybe some guys that are just, just starting out, but um, at the same time, it's, you just got to stick to it. But playing with freedom is what I care about, mm. and then 
when I'm teeing it up on Saturday and I'm in the last few groups and I know I have a chance if I play my game on the weekend, that's what's exciting. So being very patient Thursday, Friday to just give myself more and more weekend opportunities because when your blood gets high, you know, and your heartbeat starts racing, um, that's what I love about golf. That's what I love about competing on the PGA Tour. Uh, philosophy with Jordan Spieth. Hey, appreciate your time, my man. Yeah, you got it. Absolutely. Well, Jordan Spieth gets his first round underway tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern, alongside Billy Horschel and the U.S. Ryder Cup captain, Zach Johnson. Tell you what, Eamon, as Jordan says, ball striking, very important this week as we go from the mountains of Kapalua to the cozy confines of Wai'alai. This golf course opened in 1927. Average green size, 7,100 square feet, 83 bunkers, four water hazards come into play on five holes in the course record JT at 59. Back in the first round of 2017, there have been some standout moments at the Sony 1966 Hawaii's own Ted Makalena edged out Billy Casper and gave Brewer recording a three-shot victory for his first and only PGA Tour win and doing so became the first Hawaiian-born winner of this event in 1983. How about one of the all-time great moments, Asao Aoki, par five finishing hole. How about this, Eamon? Do you remember this? too young for that one. Walk-off eagle to beat Jack Renner, but Renner actually came back and won the Sony Open the following year. 1998, Damon John Houston shot 28 under par with his sister Julie as his caddy. At the time, that was the PGA Tour record for the lowest 72-hole score in relation to par. Most birdies in a 72-hole event with 31. Both records have since been surpassed. A couple of years after that, Paul Azinger, he won 11 times between 1987 and 93, but in December of 93, he was diagnosed with lymphoma in his right shoulder blade. He returned to competition by August of 94, but would win only once more, the 2000 Sony Open. He was quoted as saying, all the people who've been diagnosed with cancer, I'm living proof that your life can return to normal. How about this transcendent moment, 2004, Michelle, we competed in this event at the age of 14, becoming the youngest player to compete in a PGA Tour event in 67 years. Peter on the sponsors at Shemson shot 72-68, just missing the cut by one. And another iconic teenage moment in 2007, Honolulu native Tad Fujikawa made the cut just four days after his 16th birthday, finished tied 20th, fourth youngest player to make the cut in the tour event. Tad is now a pickleball professional. About that pickleball, all the rage 2017, Justin Thomas rewrote the tournament in PGA Tour record books in his seven-shot win, along with his course record 59. On Thursday, he set a new PGA Tour record for low first 36-hole aggregate at 123. And Hideki Matsuyama with the sun going down. This is one year ago, playoff between himself and Russell Henley, 2021 Master Champ. Hit it stiff, setting up a winning tap in Eagle. So I guess, you know, that Big hitters, we've got, you know, short hitters. Paige McKenzie, what's the recipe for success at the Sony Open? <laughs> Uh, it's a great question, uh, because unlike a lot of PGA Tour events where you feel like driving distance can be such a factor, uh, there's not as many holes on this golf course that seem to be be able to take advantage of with length. Uh, it's a par 70, so only two par fives, and of those par fives, the ninth hole and the 18th hole, we just saw Hideki Matsuyama hit into that. Both of them are pretty much reachable by the entire field, given, of course, the wind exceptions, but for the most part, they become extremely scorable for everybody. Uh, in fact, the most poor, scorable par fives on the PGA Tour, uh, if you can believe that. So for that reason, I think you're, you're finding a little bit more strategy involved on this golf course. You're seeing a more plotters that get the job done. If you look at that history of winners, you have a, a diverse group with the David Toms, the Corey Pavins, the Kevin Nas that have won there uh, that aren't typically competitive in kind of those blowout long hitter golf courses. They've got a chance here and have succeeded here. What do you see, Eamon? Is there something that kind of binds the recent winners of the Sony Open, a stat, a performance metric that you've discovered? There is, because as Paige said, you know, distance is never an impediment on the PGA Tour right. anymore, but it's not a determining factor on this golf course. If you look at the last decade here and just check out the strokes ranked putting in the field of the winners of this tournament, go back all the way to Jimmy Walker back in 2015. Only one of those guys, Kevin Na, who's actually a good putter, was outside of the top five in putting for the week. And I read an interesting stat from our old buddy Justin Ray at 15th Club who pointed out that on average over the last dozen years, a PGA Tour winner gains 32% of their strokes gained against the field 
on the greens, but at this tournament and on this golf course, it's more than 48%. Wow. So that's really where those guys are, are making hay out there. And I would also argue that there's a, a sharpness factor as well on mm. this golf course. Take a look at the last nine winners of the Sony Open at Wailea, and eight of them have actually competed in the previous week at the Century Tournament of Champions. Cameron Smith the, was the lone guy who did not do that, the 2020 winner. So it, it's a, the sharpness over the field and the ability when you're at the business end of the hole to be that little bit sharper than anyone else is much more of a determining factor here than the bludgeon show mm. that we saw last week at Kapalua. Yeah, uh, Pete Sampras in tennis used to call it being match tough. Paige, what do you see with uh, the putter or with just being kind of competitively sharp playing Kapalua well, and then going to Sony? I think when you look at, at events in Hawaii, everybody thinks about weather. Because typically in any coastal event or island event, the winds are very much going to be a factor. Uh, it's been pretty mild the last couple of years, but even when you look at that list and realize that it's not always those top ball strikers that succeed, which I think, again, typically you would think in a windy course uh, course that's going to have that kind of seaside breeze that that would be important. When Cameron Smith won in 2020, he actually had strokes gain approach in the negative category. It was at the bottom half of the field as it relates to how he hit the ball into the greens, which I found to be very fascinating, especially um, considering that to me, it goes against the instincts that I would expect in a golf course that would typically be hindered by some sort of breeze. It's a great point. I think this is a golf course where, you know, you don't, the long hitter isn't necessarily favored. The short hitter may or may not be favored, but he's definitely not, not eliminated. I see a lot of comparisons, believe it or not, between Wildlife Country Club and TPC Sawgrass. You're saying, wait a minute, completely different golf courses, different parts of the world, but look at the past champions of both. And in recent years, you mentioned Cam Smith. He, he won at Sony and he won at the players. And controlling his ball, sometimes getting up and down. Yes, playing well in the win. Yes, Justin Thomas, you think about him? Well, he won the players championship in 2021, 64, 68 on the weekend. He shot 59 in the throes of winning the 2017 Sony. And how about Matt Kuchar, another player's champ, a ball striker. He got it done at the players in 2012, got it done in 2019. I'll throw KJ Choi out there, player's champ in 2011, Sony Open 2008. For the record, Jeff Sluman, David Toms, Paul Goitis, Jim Furyk, all past champs at the Sony, all runner-up finishers at the players. Doesn't that tell you it's a good rule of thumb that if you have the skill set to win a TPC Sawgrass, you've pretty much got the skill set to win anywhere in this game? Well, coming up, one of the hottest hands in the amateur game is in the house. David Ford, winner of the Jones Cup last week. He's going to tell us how he's getting it done. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Back on golf today, great event took place over the weekend in Sea Island, Georgia, as the 19th playing of the Jones Cup Invitational was underway at Ocean Forest Golf Club. This event 
was first contested in 2001 as an opportunity to celebrate not only the game of golf, but also the camaraderie and fellowship associated with it. And what started out as a Walker Cup preview quickly turned into an annual event. And I tell you what, this kid, David Ford, UNC, getting it done. A fantastic field. Caleb Surratt, what a duel they had. Ford gets it done. Final round 69 to win by one and to move up to number six in the Amateur World Rankings. And Damon, this is fast becoming one of the more impressive resumes in the game. David Ford starts 23 with the Jones Cup Invitational Championship. He won the Stevens Cup to end 2022 with that 62 at Seminole, the Southern Amateur, ACC Freshman of the Year at UNC, tied fifth at the NCAA Championship, the Junior Players Championship a couple of years ago, and entered the week number eight in the World Amateur Golf Ranking. We're pleased now to be joined by David Ford. And David, this is a pretty impressive resume. You win the Jones Cup, you've won the Stevens Cup. The World Amateur Ranking says you're the eighth best amateur in the world. Do you feel like you're a higher ranked amateur than number eight? Um, I'd say right now, yes. Um, I've been playing well the last few months, so um, I think I finished first, second, first in my last three events. So it's been a really uh, a really fun last few months, but the rankings are accurate. I mean, I trust Wagger to tell us who the best player is, but um, I think I still have a lot more to prove and a lot of time to do that. David, an 18-foot downhill putt for birdie to win. It's a scenario many of us can only dream about. What was your thought process standing over that putt? Because I understand the adrenaline was really pumping. Yeah, there was a, a lot of nerves, a lot of adrenaline. Um, 53 holes um, had been building up to just one putt. So I just kind of tried to tell myself to stay calm. I read it from a bunch of different angles for about three minutes. So I wasn't entirely sure on my line. I was kind of just hoping it was going to go in and um, got lucky, put a good roll on, and it happened to fall. Well, you had a wonderful back and forth uh, with Caleb Surratt, a fine young player in his own right, University of Tennessee. What's the level of pride in holding off a player of his ilk? Yeah, he is an awesome player. Um, we've talked a little bit after this week just of how much respect we have for each other's games. Uh, I played him at Southern Am as well, and he was um, one of the best players I'd ever seen in that group. So every time I've played with him, it's been – I've walked off the golf course saying that dude is one of the best players I've ever seen. So I have a ton of respect for him, and um, it makes it a lot a lot even more special to, uh, to hold off such a great player. David, when you ended 22 with a big win in the Jackson – T. Stevens Cup, and then you start 23 by winning the Jones Cup. Is there any temptation towards looking at making a leap into the next level of this game a little earlier, or do you have a pretty set game plan over the next couple of years of how you're going to work through things? Yeah, I've, I've gotten that question a little bit um, in the past few months, and I think for right now, um, right where my feet are is where I'm going to be. So it's I'm just trying to get better every day. Um, I'm playing amateur events right now. Um, hopefully going to play the Walker Cup in September, so I'm not looking to to go pro anytime soon. I feel like I still have a lot to learn from from other amateurs and other pros, um, and a lot to work on with short game and and kind of just everything. So right now I'm I'm staying amateur. I'm just um, tr kind of trying to get better and um, do my best for the team. Well, speaking of the pro game, we've seen young players before in the RSM Classic. You get an exemption into that PGA Tour event. Davis Thompson from Georgia also played in that. What will you hope to experience this fall? Yeah, I haven't really uh, got that far yet. I got the exemption like three days ago, so um, I've processed it a little bit. But more than anything, I'm just looking forward to the opportunity. I mean, it's it's not every day you get an exemption into a PGA Tour event. So I'm thrilled to be playing. Um, still have 10 months and hopefully a national championship to win with the heels until then. But I'm um, just trying to get better, and um, we'll we'll get to that tournament when it comes. David, you mentioned the Walker Cup, which this year has been held at the old course in St. Andrews, which I'm sure is on the mind of a lot of guys. Where does that rank among your goals for this year? And what else is on that short list of things you want to accomplish before you leave the amateur game? Yeah, that's definitely um, definitely top of the list. I mean, I got to attend the Walker Cup practice session in December with some guys, and it was an awesome experience, just a ton of fun. So um, Captain McCoy is a perfect fit for the job, and I think I would love to be on that team. But um, like I said, we still have a lot of time until then, and Still have to play a full summer of amateur golf, and I don't even think they start selecting until this summer. So still have so much to, to learn from and um, so many tournaments to play in with my teammates. But I think another one that's at the top of the list is winning a national championship uh, individually and as a team. It's uh, it's something that we talk about a lot. Our locker room code is 531 for uh, 531. At the, that's the date of the national championship, May, uh, May 31st. So 
we think about it a lot. Um, that's kind of our goal, and that's what we're shooting for. So that's my goal right now. Speaking of numbers, I understand you are a triplet with siblings at UGA. I'm the father of triplets, crazy tennis players. What was the competitive dynamic like and the, and the grocery bill in the house growing up? Yeah, the grocery bill was definitely high. Um, my parents will have to talk to you about that one. But, yeah, three mouths to feed was not easy for them, I'm sure. But um, they did a great job. I mean, they, they always encouraged us to compete. They always supported us in whatever we wanted to do, whatever sport uh, my brother and I or, or even my sister wanted to play. So my brother and I have always been extremely competitive, mainly because we grew up in that um, – I grew up playing against each other, um, playing on the same team, but trying to be better than the other one. So – I think that competitive nature is kind of what fueled me um, to play go good golf recently, and it's part of why I'm. It's a huge part of why I'm. Um, why I'm here today. Well, I saw a headline that said uh, "Built Ford Tough," and that describes the entire family. Sounds like David. Congratulations. We'll catch up with you down the road. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World? Like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Well, Sunday marked a career milestone for 2013 Masters champion Adam Scott. He earned $210,000 for finishing 29th at the Century Tournament of Champions. And with that check, he joined a short list of names who have made more than $60 million in prize money on the PGA Tour. And here is that pretty elite company. You see Adam Scott there at number 70. Tiger Woods, of course, streaking out ahead with $120.8 million in career earnings, not including bonuses. Yesterday, Adam Scott was asked if he ever thought that $60 million benchmark was within the realm of possibility. It certainly wasn't. Uh, I mean, we were running on money lists when I first came out, and everything was based around that. I don't really think I had a career money goal at all. I think it was more about I'd, I'd win, made, win majors goal. And uh, honestly, I, I don't know if my goals were any more complicated than that and I've told this a million times but after a few years on tour it felt like it was probably win majors and get to world number one whether it was my goals as a kid or my dreams as a kid and uh, after a few years on tour like maybe many others if we're all being honest it felt like they were going to be unattainable because Tiger was dominant at number one and he was winning about two majors a year and and if I'm honest my golf in the majors wasn't even close to looking like threatening so that, that was an interesting first 10 years of my career I think because I'm not sure that uh, for whatever reason I, I, I kind of I didn't give up but it seemed it seemed a little bit unattainable and then is it, more, is it more attainable now? I, I, I think so, yes. I, I, think, um, I think my motivation now is as strong as ever. I think there are maybe some more hurdles in my way than uh, in the middle of the career. Like, I think there's more good young players now than when I was 30, for example. Uh, and that's not a knock on anyone else that was out there when I just think guys are getting better quicker, competition's a bit deeper, and um, but I'm fit and healthy and I feel like 
for the first time in a few years, uh, things are on my terms. This year I'm playing the schedule I want to play. I feel like I don't have to chase anything and I feel like I can prioritise everything I need to to win, win big events and put myself in a position where I want to be kind of fulfilling those dreams as a kid. Big money, but not a lot of trophies uh, of late. The former world number one and Masters champion. See that 2020 Genesis Invitational, his last win. The other runner-up finish, seven top tens, five missed cuts. Paige McKenzie, he's eloquent, he's elegant, but is he relevant at the age of 42? I think so. I, I tend to agree with him in kind of the trajectory of his career. Yes, he's had obviously a lot of bright spots uh, throughout the entirety of his career. But when you look at players, I, I think once they reach the age of 40 and he's at that age, 42 now, you start to wonder, okay, how long can they keep up distance-wise and also with the putter? Because those both those tend to falter as players age uh, and the nerves get a little shaky around the, the short putts and, and your body starts to break down. Maybe not quite as much speed as you had in your 20s. Well, when I look at Adam Scott and I look at his driving, over the course of his career, one of the best drivers on tour, well, he's managed to continue to gain distance uh, as the tour players have. And last year was his highest or most distance off of the tee of any year of his career. He was 312 yards, which ranked 15th on the PGA Tour, so certainly relevant off of the tee. And then Damon... Uh, he's had a lot of putting struggles throughout his career. Uh, of the last 19 seasons, 11 of those, he was ranked outside the top 100 on the PGA Tour. But the last four years have been a different story. He's had a lot of consistency in that area. So when I look at him and, and can he be re relevant, is he relevant? Certainly in those two areas, he has maintained and continued to excel. Great point you make. And Paige, early in 2023, paying a lot of attention to the driver. It was John Rahm last week and it's adam scott right now and you're right Paige. the perception of adam scott in recent years has been that he's not putting well but the numbers do tell a different story the last four years 31st 49th 18th tie for 41st those are very serviceable numbers it's around the greens where he's gotten into some problems 10th 9th 112th in 2021 136th in 2022 so you know sometimes you know everybody's not going to be raymond floyd you know aging gracefully with the short game or or kenny perry jack nicholas tom watson players vj singh very very robust resumes in their 40s what do you see from adam scott at this point amen he gave the impression in those comments there of a guy who thinks he's got unfinished business mm. in terms of his career resume and that may explain why Adam Scott has passed on moving to live golf because he ticks a lot of those boxes. You know, a major champion who you could argue perhaps his best days are behind him and th that there's been some erosion in results. But he he's pointed out he wants to play the schedule that he chooses, right. which he's obviously going to do on the PGA Tour. And that's clearly going to be focused on major championships because he had a sublime four-year run between 2011, when he almost won the Open Championship, then 2012 at Lytham, up until 2015, he won one major championship at the Masters and had 10 other top 10s. In the eight years, seven years of play since then, he's had four top 10s in all of those majors and none since 2019 at all. So he, he strikes me as a guy who's trying to refocus on what will define his legacy from this point forward. He says he's fit, he's hungry, he also acknowledges the hurdles in his way. Those hurdles are named, you know, Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy, and John Rahm, and Scotty Scheffler. I, I think that's going to be the question. Can a player who's going to turn 43 this summer compete with these players who are, are Brahma Bulls, who are, are just kind of tasting and reaching the height of their power, where, where the bottom line is that Adam Scott very well may have already reached the height of his power? He, he kind of reminds me of, uh, in a way, an Andy Roddick character mm. in tennis who looked, you know, he, he, he won early. He was this great striking figure coming on to the world stage. And then suddenly Federer and Nadal and Djokovic all came behind him. And suddenly that was the deluge that washed yeah. away Andy Roddick's career. And he mentioned it there in those comments himself that they, he came into this game wanting world number one and major championships and then realized, well, Tiger wasn't going to cede the number one spot anytime yeah. soon and that there were basically only two majors a year left for anyone else to win at the rate Tiger was going in his peak years. 
Um, that's a hard thing, I think, to, to reassess mm. at a certain point. When you get to 40, is the drive still there when your peak years are behind and you happen to be playing in the era of the GOAT? There are hurdles out there now. They're not Tiger Woods-sized hurdles, but he's a little older, a little yeah. slower. Got a family. Three kids at 42 years old. His very nice life in the Bahamas. So it, it makes you wonder if the drive is there. I, I would suggest the drive is there. Whether the ability to actually reorganize his life in complete support of that drive, yeah. that's probably a little more difficult at 42 with three kids. He's put a goal of 20 PGA Tour wins uh, for his career. He's trying to get win number 15 this week from the PGA Tour to the Corn Ferry Tour. This weekend, the KFT kicks off another season in the Bahamas, and there are a lot of changes ahead. So the president of the tour, Alex Baldwin, will be here to fill us in right after the break. Last week, it was announced that Tom Doak will be designing the 10th course at America's most storied resort, Pinehurst. He's joining us to tell us what is in store. One of the most decorated women in amateur golf was just announced as the captain of America's next Curtis Cup squad. We'll welcome Megan Stassi to the show. And the president of the Corn Ferry Tour is here too. She's going to outline the major changes for a season that gets underway this weekend. Golf Today, Hour 2, off and running. Today. <clears throat> PJ Tour moves from Maui to Oahu this week for the Sony Open in Hawaii. That W Treaty made famous, and it's a mad, 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 mad world. They get all the Mads. First full field event 2023 on the PJ Tour. You can catch live first round coverage tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Golf Channel. This is Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch on Golf Today. And my man between making TV, you're often making phone calls. I understand you have some news on this Wednesday. Yeah, a few days ago, Rex Hoggard had reported that several players had been granted waivers by the PGA Tour to compete in the Saudi International event, which is held opposite Pebble Beach in a few weeks in the first week of February. And this morning at Golf Week, I reported who three of those players are, and the three players who have been granted waivers to compete in the event are Cameron Young, who was the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year last year, Cameron Champ, a three-time winner on tour, and a winner last season, Lucas Herbert, an Australian whose agent confirmed that he would be playing. Representatives for the two Camerons did not respond to any inquiries asking for a comment on that. But whether or not they actually choose to play the event, Herbert says he's playing. Whether or not Cameron Young, Cameron Champ play is unknown at this stage, but mm. they have sought and been granted permission by the PGA Tour to do so. Now, the folks at home are, are hearing Saudi and maybe thinking Live Golf. This is separate from Live Golf Tour. Correct. Technically, the Saudi International is not part of any Live Golf schedule. It is on the Asian Tour schedule. And last year, players sought, as they had for several years, this event started in 2019, players sought releases to go there. In February of last year, they were granted by the PGA Tour. There were 28 of them sought and granted last year. There were only a handful this year. And a lot of those players then moved on to Live Golf. But a bunch of them, Alexander Shoffley, Tony Finau, Tom Kim, who've played in that event in the past, are still very much on the PGA Tour. So th there aren't many guys who are considering going to play it, but there obviously are several. And I, I think the fact that the PGA Tour realized that's where they drew the distinction here. And I think the precedent mm -hmm. had been set that waivers had been granted in the past for the Saudi International, which is a non-live golf event in official terms. And that precedent is still in place right now. A non-live golf event, but the money does come from the Public Investment Fund, does it not? It does. They are sponsored and bankrolled by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, as is Live Golf. The field is going to be comprised of, I'm sure, all of the Live Golf guys as well. So it's a grey area, but when you're locked in a, an antitrust legal case and you've mm. set that precedent, then I'm sure it informs some of these decisions going forward. Eamon Lynch with that story on Golf Week magazine. Folks, the 2023 season on the Corn Ferry Tour kicks off this Sunday with the Bahamas. Great Exuma Classic at Sandals Emerald Bay. Continuing to see some gorgeous venues and shots around the world of golf. And there are some notable changes on the Corn Ferry Tour this year. 
There's a single season points list. The top 30 after the Corn Ferry Tour Finals earn 2024 PGA Tour cards. The Corn Ferry Tour Finals increases from three to four events and they're playing for $28 million in total prize money. We're pleased to be joined now by Alex Baldwin, the president of the Corn Ferry Tour. Alex, thank you for joining us. There's a lot of changes coming up this season. I'm most curious about one. What we've become accustomed to over the last few years is 25 cards being given out through the season-long points race and then 25 cards to the PGA Tour in the finals. That's now down to one season-long list with 30 cards. Was that a tough sell to the membership? Because it's, you, know, you are reducing it by 20 cards. You know, it actually, I think if you think about it in terms of that sort of one continuous season, Eamon, now we have an opportunity for our membership to play those 26 consecutive events for those 30 cards. Um, in the past, right, we would only have the top 75 that would advance to finals. Now, um, by extending the season, having Corn Ferry Tour finals really be part of uh, the points race with one single points list and those 30 cards um, gives that Corn Ferry Tour membership really an increased number of cards, which was you know previously our regular season of awarded 25, and now that becoming 30. Alex, another change: players competing in the U.S. Open having the FedEx Cup points count toward Corn Ferry Tour points. Uh, why is that important? Is there any thought of having you know Corn Ferry Tour players who compete on PGA Tour events uh, potentially having a similar situation, an exchange of points that count toward the Corn Ferry Tour? Yes, Damon, I think, you know, again, we've we've talked about this in the past. I think it's something we've looked at for a very long time. Uh, we are very, very pleased to have announced before the holidays that we have implemented um, the, you know, U.S. Open points um, being uh, recognized on our Corn Ferry Tour points list. I think it's a big milestone. It's something that we received, you know, approval from the PGA Tour Policy Board as well as our PAC. Um, the U.S. Open is, you know, again, it's our... It's a national championship. It has an open qualifying system, um, and it has seen really strong performance from our Corn Ferry Tour membership. And we all feel very strongly that it certainly deserves to have that recognition in terms of the points list. Um, you know, as far as your question and, and looking at kind of PGA Tour points, um, it gets a little bit more complicated, right? And again, is always something that we are going to look at and evaluate um, to ensure that we're protecting kind of of the, the Corn Ferry Tour membership as they are committed to our season and our tournaments and, and playing their best to ultimately access um, the PGA Tour. Alex, there's a lot of uncertainty about what the PGA Tour fall is going to look like in, in 2023. Does that in any way impact how the Corn Ferry Tour fall looks? Do you anticipate having to make any logistical or scheduling changes based on how the PGA Tour fall is going to look? I don't. I am anticipating an incredibly strong fall finish for us. Having the opportunity to have those four, we've increased our finals from three to four, as you acknowledged. Our players will be competing for $1.5 million in prize money. Uh, those are televised events for us. They're going to be coming down the hunt. This is, this is the moment where we are going to um, award and acknowledge and celebrate the 30 guys that are going to the PGA Tour. And, you know, the first time in a long time, that now our membership will have a little bit of an off-season. So by finishing our season at the beginning of October, they'll be able to take sort of November and December to be ready by January. Um, in the past, right, that quick turnaround between that finish at our Corn Ferry Tour Championship beginning of September and that quick start into the fall was hard. It was hard for our guys. And um, I'm, I'm just excited. I think it'll give them um, an even greater opportunity to, to make an impact once they start their PGA Tour schedules. Alex, professional golf is hard, and we've heard stories of Corn Ferry Tour players, especially during the, the COVID pandemic, needing to take on a, a second job, you know, working at a grocery store, for example. But we've seen the growth from $3 million in purses in 90 to $28 million in 2023. How important is this continued increase just for the quality of life for your players? 
Oh, it's incredibly important. And I think it's also really recognizing the strength and the talent of our membership and our players. Uh, it reflects, I think, a strong interest from fans, from brands, uh, people. The golf world is seeing the immediate success that our players are having on the PGA Tour. And to be able to you know, come out this season with our highest prize money you know, total in history is a, is a huge point of pride. And I think, you know, again, continues to be very reflective of the quality and caliber of play out there. Alex, that's an enormous year-on-year -year leap in prize money. To what extent is that prize money leap subsidized by the PGA Tour, or is it from corporate sponsors? Because you do have new sponsors coming on this year as well, right? Yes, we do. I think we're, we're really proud to say that we've got 25 out of 26 events have title sponsors. Brands are really investing and stepping up their interest in our events. Um, but, you know, yes, the PGA Tour is a very significant investor um, in the Corn Ferry Tour and is incredibly passionate and committed to the future pipeline um, and players and, and our future stars. i got to say what I'm most looking forward to is the return of Q School or the PGA Tour qualifying tournament as we're calling it, there are five spots at stake this fall, and there are entry points from the PGA Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, Canadian Tour, Latino America Tour. Do you know yet yes. at this point, for, for the, all of this drama we're looking forward to, when is it, where is it, and how many spots are going to be in the field when we get there? So we are finalizing the sites. We're going through that process right now. It will be uh, late in December, sort of early to mid-December timing. Again, still finalizing that pending the date. Uh, we will likely, you know, field size for that event, sort of 156, 160. We are fighting a daylight at that time of year. So we have to be pretty, you know, sensitive and, and, and thoughtful to where we're playing and um, being able to host that on two golf courses. Uh, we're getting close. I think it will be, you know, really well received, kind of the return of Q School from, from fans. Um, it will be certainly a drama-packed and, and intense week uh, for many that we're, we're really looking forward to having come back. Lots of changes, lots of excitement, and especially lots of competition on the Corn Ferry Tour. Alex, thanks for the time. Happy New Year. We'll speak to you down the road. Thank you. We're excited. Let's go 2023. We're no do this. doubt about it. And I tell you what, I remember 1990, Eamon. I remember the Ben Hogan tour, as it was called. And to think where it was is in terms of the, the prize money to where it is now. I mean, it is a very different game. It really is. And it's amazing how many guys really forged their competitive chops on this tour over the years. And particularly in Q School, I mean, I remember I've had conversations with so many players over the years who went through the Q School experience, and they all still have a slightly haunted look. Oh, yes. Talking about it. And <laughs> even Brad Faxon, for example, I had a long conversation with Brad about it one night. Brad only ever went to Q School once, his very first year, and never had to go back. But he could tell you in forensic detail every round and the stress and the drama that he went through to earn his card. Brandel Chambly's the same. Brandel had experience. Um, in the Q School as well. It's not something these guys forget, and that's where triumph and tragedy really tends to meet at Q School, and I can't wait to see it again. Q School's like the bar exam. Do it once, do it right, and never do it again. Paige, your brother played on the Corn Ferry Tour. What's your biggest takeaway from the changes that we're hearing? You know, the biggest takeaway, I, I, not to go back to the money, but in so many ways, it's important. It's important that these players can earn a living, but most importantly is if this is what feeds the PGA Tour. You want those players to be as prepared as possible. And given the uh, increase in pay, the players can start to reinvest in themselves. It's expensive to get the right coaching, to get the right fitness. Everybody talks about the team. The team's expensive. And if you're not making a good enough living, you can't reinvest in yourself. And I'm excited for the players out there because they're giving the, the players a better opportunity to do that. They can make a decent living and then use some of that money to be best prepared to compete against the best players in the world once they get to the PGA Tour. So uh, good news all around as it relates to purses. Paige, I know there's this uh, attitude among golfers that the feeder tours are supposed to keep people hungry, that you kind of want to move on to that next tier. But we've just seen earlier this year the PGA Tour announced that rookies will receive half a million dollars guaranteed against their earnings for this season. Is there an argument to be made for at least a nominal amount 
for full card-carrying members of the Corn Ferry Tour to offset the expenses they have? Because those expenses aren't much less than the tour guys. I could make that argument 100%, uh, Eamon. In fact, when that announcement came out, I was under the impression there was some sort of um, baseline for the Corn Ferry Tour. It wasn't until uh, we had some questions answered to get that figured out. Because uh, I agree, you, you have to qualify to get to that level. You're not gifted a spot on the Corn Ferry Tour. You have a level of play to get to that point. Injury can take it away. Uh, having a, a situation where your swing's off or club equipment's off for a few weeks and all of a sudden you're starting to worry about paying rent. And and I have, I think it would be nice uh, to have some sort of baseline, but uh, increased purses is, is a start, and I'm totally fine with that. We love a meritocracy. I don't think you're going to have an issue with being hungry. When there's that much money on the PGA Tour, you're going to be hungry for it, no matter what you're making on Corn Ferry Tour. Um, so I don't think that necessarily is an issue for me anyway. Yeah, an increase of $28 million. When the players leave the Corn Ferry Tour to go on the PGA Tour, they are ready. That's for sure. Well, coming up next, his designs have made some of us fall in love with this game and broken my heart a few times too. Tom Doak will be here after the break to talk about his latest high-profile job. Welcome back to Golf Today, folks. In case you missed it, Pinehurst Resort will break ground on its first new golf course in nearly three decades. This month, it will be designed by Tom Doak, one of the most respected architects in the game, Pinehurst number 10 be located four miles south of the main resort clubhouse and is expected to open in late spring of 2024, coinciding with the return of the U.S. Open to Pinehurst, number two. And here are some of the most notable course designs by Tom Doak, and there are many. Pacific Dunes at an Oregon abandoned dunes resort. Cape Kidnappers, which I played with Tom 20 years ago in New Zealand, all the way up to Tariti, another course that he designed in New Zealand. Great to be joined now by Tom Doak, who will design number 10, and Tom Pashley, Pinehurst Resort President. Pash, I'm curious how this ambitious project went from concept to reality. Well, David, it's exciting times here in Pinehurst. So we're, you know, we're experiencing record demand for golf, and, and it's been a great time to be a golf resort. As people have come back to the game in, in big numbers, and really nine courses, turns out, at Pinehurst isn't enough. And so we... We're responding to kind of this record demand. We've been sitting on this 400 acres of land, I'm sorry, 900 acres of land for decades. And uh, we, we, the right timing is now, and we need more golf. And fortunately, Tom Doak had scheduled. It's great to be a golf resort, but it's also be great to be a golf architect right now because these guys are busy. And it worked out that we had an opportunity to work with Mr. Doak. Clearly, his work speaks for itself. Um, so we're excited. We're, we're beginning the process right now. We're going to move full steam ahead and look forward to welcoming everyone to, to this 10th golf course in 2024. I have a question now for Tom Doak. Tom, you have in the past designed courses in places where there's already a pretty stout roster of fine courses. You've yep. done it in Ireland, you've done it in Scotland, you've done it in Australia, Bandon, Sand Valley, now Pinehurst. Does that give you any hesitation at all, given what's already there, or is that a challenge that you actually embrace? No, I mean... You know, the reason there's other great courses there is because the land is good for golf. So working next door is probably a good thing on that basis alone. And then if the construction crew needs any inspiration, it's pretty close at hand. You know, the only the only fear would be, you know, I never talk about comparing the course I'm just starting to build now with, you know, one of the 10 best golf courses in the world. You know, there's no point in talking about it in those terms. Um, you know, we just have to wait and finish and see how well we do. The comparison, obviously, would be more difficult for the architect. But, Pash, in terms of the business standpoint of this, how do you distinguish what Tom is going to do from what you already have at the resort? Well, you know, it, it's neat. Piners being you know, home to Donald Ross's masterpiece, Piners number two, and then really to, to see the evolution of golf architecture here is like going to a golf architecture museum. Over the last decade or so, we've been fortunate to work with Core Crenshaw on the restoration of Piners number two, and then Gil Hance on the redo of Piners number four. So, so we really have worked with some of the best architects, and, and the common, commonality is sand. And, and, and we've seen the work that Tom Doak has done on sand, and we're excited to see it. We don't want it to be the same as, as Piners number two. We don't want it to be the same as number four. We want to offer something very unique and different. 
And, and that's why we hired Tom Dote, because we know he's got one of the more creative minds that we've ever seen. And we're looking forward to seeing what he does. Tom Doak, what should we know about the uniqueness of the sand and also understand uh, some elevation change on the property as well? Yeah, there is more than the other courses at the resort. And, um, and you know, I think that's going to make the golf course different usually. You know, we start from kind of a, say, middle ground and work up to where you make the turn is far away from the clubhouse and, and almost 100 feet higher. And I think when you're up there, you're going to have views back over a lot of the golf course back toward the clubhouse, which will be spectacular. But there's some really big pine trees out there, you know, we're, and it's a balance between cutting more down to get those big views and leaving a bunch of beautiful big pine trees like you don't have on every other site we work with. Well, Pash, this looks like a tremendous project that you have coming up, and you mentioned the restoration of number two and what Gil did on number four. You also built the Thistledew putting course. You've added the cradle short course. At what point do you say, yeah, I think I've got enough? <laughs> uh, you know, the, we're fortunate to be owned by the Deadman family, and the Deadman family want Piners to be relevant for the next 100 years. You know, we're 125 years old. And, and we're not finished. We're, we're fortunate that we had this land and, uh, and we've been dreaming about it for a lot of years. And it's, it's nice to have those dreams start to come true. Tom Doak, as you know, we're a couple of old newspaper guys. What's the deadline like to get this course done? Because there's a pretty big event coming June of 2024, the U.S. Open. There is. And, and I really wasn't thinking about that when Tom called me the 1st of May last year to talk about this project. <laughs> but... You know, I'm, I'm signed up for several other projects, and some of those have been getting pushed off to, so we're not going to build them this winter. They're going to be built next winter. And when he called, I said, well, if you're talking about 24, I think I'm too busy. If there's any way you can get it going in 23, we'd have time to do it. And that was a lot of pressure. I mean, I've only ever done one project that we started shaping less than a year after that initial phone call. And that one, somebody else had, you know, they'd gotten permits already based on somebody else's plan. So, you know, this is unusual for things to happen this fast. And it's only happening because there's a lot of professionals around Pinehurst that have done this before and they've got, they know who to talk to and they've gotten all the pieces in place in a real hurry. And that's great for us because the next three months have, you know, most of our work's up somewhere in the North this is the next three months. It's like the only thing we're going to be working on. And we're looking forward to getting out there and getting started and getting a bunch in the ground in the next two or three months. Tom, there are certain things when they hear about new courses that purists like to know about. So, you know, you just recently built a golf course that has a par of 68 out in Wisconsin. Uh, when you built Pacific Dunes, a lot of purists raised their eyebrow because there were four par threes on the back nine. Are there any peculiarities along those lines on, in the plans for Pinehurst number 10? Not really. I mean, it's a, I think it's a par 71 golf course the way it is right now. You know, every, every time we're working on something, there's a chance we'll decide you know, this hole is really better as a long par four or one of the long par fours is better as a par five. So I wouldn't, you know, take that to the bank necessarily. But but it's not, you know, it's a big, broad piece of property and there's not a lot of, you know, the more severe the elevation changes are, the more likely you are to get one of those quirky routings like Pacific Dunes. When you've got big, broad elevation changes like this, it's more likely that it's going to come out a little more standard. And, I, you know, I'm not deliberately trying to make them different. It's just sometimes the land, that's the way it works out. Another golf course where I'm going to try to break 80, Pinehurst number 10. Gentlemen, thank you so much, and congratulations. Look forward to seeing this project come to life. Thanks, David. I'm serious. All right, folks, still to come on golf today, Zach Johnson will captain the U.S. side in Italy in the upcoming Ryder Cup later this year. But he's still working on his own game out in Hawaii. Our Todd Lewis caught up with Captain Johnson. We'll hear from him next. This week, the inaugural Hero Cup takes place at Abu Dhabi Golf Club. It's a Ryder, Ryder Cup-style team event featuring 10 players from continental Europe competing against a 10-man squad from Great Britain and Ireland. 
European Ryder Cup captain Luke Donnell is overseeing things. The tournament will feature foursomes, four ball and single sessions with all 20 players participating in each session. And here is that format on Friday. There's a four ball session, Saturday two foursomes or alternate shot sessions and one Sunday single session. Close look at the teams from Continental Europe. Francesco Molinari playing captain. You see Nikolai Hogard replacing his brother Rasmus. In Great Britain and Ireland, Tommy Fleetwood, the playing captain. Some familiar names, Terrell Hatton, Shane Lowry, Bobby McIntyre. Famous power winner on the PGA Tour as well. And folks, a reminder, the Ryder Cup is coming to Golf Channel and NBC this September at Marco Simone Golf Club in Italy. Man, I love this song. Team USA looks to win the Ryder Cup on European soil for the first time since 1993. For more, let's welcome in Todd Lewis from the Sony Open in Hawaii. T. Lou, you were able to catch up with the U.S. captain, Zach Johnson. What did he have to say? Well, he had a lot to say. Zach is one of 125 players in the field here kicking off 2023 on the PGA Tour at the Sony Open. Yes, he wants to play well here this week, but from a broader perspective, he is continuing to ana analyze players and get his team ready for Rome later this fall. Now, he is aware that the DP World Tour is, is having an event this week that will better prepare the European players for the Ryder Cup. But he's not concerned about that as much as he is concerned about making sure that his U.S. team is ready for the challenge. There's going to be a lot of intensity. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it, right? You can come at it from a lot of different angles. I mean, we're certainly going to chew on stats. We're going to um, look at the golf course and what that golf course lends itself to. I mean, you, to dumb it down, horses for courses can be a, a big deal. Uh, and then you got to look at the, the locker room, the team room, the chemistry, the camaraderie. you got to look at all those factors. So, um, you know, that goes in my plate. It's a great, it's a great thing, uh, but I'll have a lot of help. I mean, certainly with the vice captains. Um, I'll have a lot of help with uh, my team of, you know, those that I've entrusted for years and years and years. And obviously the PG of America and uh, my Ryder Cup team is, I mean, they're first class. So um, there's gonna be some obstacles. There's gonna be some difficult situations, but I, I, I can't wait for them. Um, I relish them and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's already been a great journey and it's really just getting started. Let's talk about the opposing team, which actually this week on the DP World Tour, they're playing a match point event to kind of help prepare right, them that's right, that's for right. the Ryder Cup. You look on paper, you guys should win. And of course, they don't play the games on paper. We've heard it. it's cliche-ish. But how do you, right. is it important for you to make sure that you guys, that your players don't read the newspaper and tell, and, or do they already understand yeah, that? I mean, they, I, I, I mean, I think you got to be in a closet to not understand that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's out there, right? I mean, we all know yeah, you said it. I, I don't. I don't like the whole on paper thing. You know, I'm. I'm you got to play the game. You know, I mean, I, it, there's going to be 12 professionals from the European tour, and there's going to be 12 professionals from our tour, from the states, and they're both going to be very competent and very good. And anybody can beat anybody, any given day, any given week. So, um, I, if you're going to go on stats, which are very objective, right? Data. 30 years, Todd. Uh, I, I don't know how we're not the underdog, uh, if you're going to look at it that way. Um, it's been 30 years, so the way I see it is this, it's, it's an amazing and a um, absolute uh, honorable, uh, just complete opportunity to go showcase great golf. And I know I'll have 12 guys that are, that will know what's in front of them, that will know the difficulty, but will welcome it. Sounds like that's your messaging. It's been 30 years. You said it. <laughs> hey, I know uh, you're focused in on this week on a micro and a macro. You want to get ready for the Ryder Cup, but I hope you have a fun time again and some more exciting memories on the screen this week. Can't not have fun here at Sony. It's the best. All right, thanks, Zach. Thanks, Todd. Mm -hmm. Now, Zach Johnson. Zach Johnson has been a member of the United States team as an assistant captain for both the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. He has absorbed a lot in those team meetings to better understand on how to manage his squad in Rome later this fall. Zach, in my opinion, is a perfect combination of confidence and humility. Yes, he wants to make sure his guys are confident in their ability, but also showing humility, respect to their opponent, and at the same time, always trying to get better 
each and every day. And on the subject of confidence, I want to talk about Zach Johnson at this tournament, the Sony Open. This is his 18th start. In his previous 17 starts, he's made the cut 13 times. He's got four top tens. He won this tournament back in 2009. He loves this golf course. Feels very comfortable here. His putter is always going to be there. His wedge is always going to be there. He has struggled over the last few years with his driver. He had a team meeting uh, prior to the Sony Open. He said it's the best team meeting he's had in his career. They have worked out the driver issues. I walked a few holes with Zach yesterday. He was piping, piping it down the middle. He seems to be much more confident with the driver here at the Sony Open. Don't be surprised if Zach Johnson is in the mix come Sunday here at Wildlife Country Club. He is playing very well right now. Todd Lewis with the Ryder Cup captain who's sounding more and more like a college football coach. We're going to chew on some stats, Eamon, and games aren't played on paper. <laughs> we're going to move from one team event where the Americans are heavy favorites to another. Megan Stassi has won the U.S. Women's Mid-Amateur title four times and is among the most decorated players in the game. Her latest honor is captaincy of the Curtis Cup squad. We'll talk to her about that coming right up. Welcome back to golf today. Last year in the Curtis Cup at Marion Golf Club outside Philadelphia, the U.S. retained the Curtis Cup in blowout fashion with a 15 and a half to four and a half victory over Team Great Britain in Ireland. U.S. side won seven of eight points in Sunday singles en route to victory. U.S. leads the all-time series in the Curtis Cup 31 to eight with three ties. And as you can see, the U.S. side has won four of the last five 2020 event postponed to the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, on Tuesday, the USGA announced that four-time U.S. women's mid-amateur champion Megan Stassi of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, has been named captain of the 2024 Curtis Cup team. The 43rd match will be contested at Sunningdale Golf Club in England. And we don't have a screen big enough for all of the awards Megan Stassi has won over the years. So here's a few highlights. Obviously, this latest honor as a Curtis Cup captain, four-time U.S. women's mid-amateur champion, 2008 Curtis Cup team member and a Florida State Golf Association Hall of Fame member. Megan Stassi, welcome to the show. I'm curious, were you surprised to get the call to the captaincy? Extremely surprised. It was a, <laughs> it was a wonderful call. So very, very happy and very excited. Well, you were around the teams in Wales uh, and Marion. What did you learn that will help you next year? Well, just the, just having the great leadership from all the incredible um, captains that have um, leaded before. <laughs> uh, Sarah recently last two, um, and all the players just come together and shown how much uh, they love just supporting um, and competing for the Team USA. Megan, you were on that 2018, which played the Curtis Cup at the old course in St. Andrews. Is there anything you learned either as a player or from your captain back then that will inform how you do the job next year? Well, it's, uh, it's a, a new honour, so I am uh, going to be watching a lot of golf coming up. I'm still playing a lot of golf as well. So, uh, But 2008, I was uh, a mid-am and one of the oldest players. So just to see the camaraderie of the younger players was a lot of fun. And um, I look forward to getting back into uh, watching the younger girls again. You became the head coach at Old Miss when you were in your early 20s. That's got to have given you a fairly good grounding in how you're going to approach what comes next. It definitely helps, but things have definitely changed too. So um, my schedule is usually very full and uh, I'll be penciling and uh, circling a lot more dates and uh, looking forward to getting back on the road for, for watching a lot of great golf. Megan, you're so highly accomplished. You have said, quote, golf is my life, but you were also a terrific soccer player and basketball player in high school. What was that decision like to kind of dedicate your life and career to golf? Oh, it, was, uh, it wasn't easy, but it was, uh, you know, we used to get a lot in trouble because we would play soccer and basketball in every sport possible when I was at Tulane. So the coach finally said, you know, a little bit's enough enough. So, but we had such a great time. Uh, Sue at Tulane recruited a lot of uh, athletes. And then I was able to, to go on to um, Ole Miss and recruit a lot of great players. I heard this story that back in the day, your favorite childhood golf memory was was playing in a tournament. Your grandfather, I want to say, caddied for you. Do you remember how much you won and what you did with the prize money? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was about a six-hole match when I was eight, and we won a five-dollar gift certificate. It was that great, great Bay Country Club where they used to host the shop, right? 
and I bought a sleeve of pink flying ladies. So that's what I, that's all I remember on that, but I'm sure I lost them the next round. <laughs> Megan, in addition to the national titles and the, and the team honors, you know, you've won a lot of regional titles, both here in the Northeast, down in Florida. It might seem an obvious question, but was there any particular reason why you opted against ever joining the paid ranks in this game? You know, I, I did try, I gave it a shot um, back and uh, after I finished Ole Miss, I just knew that I never wanted to end up not playing the game. And that was most important for me. I saw so many players give up the game that they, I know at some point they truly love and they probably stu still do. Um, but life comes around to jobs and families and uh, work. And uh, I just, I knew that I wanted to always play for the rest of my life. Well, you play the game, you can, be captaining. I also understand you want to run a restaurant, a shuck and dive with, with, you with your husband. Yeah. You got you. black and gator <laughs> on the menu and crawfish. How do you find time to manage ah. a, a restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have incredible staff, and I'm sure they're watching right now. So thank you guys. We love you guys. My husband's owned the restaurant for 25 years, and uh, we're very, I'm very, I thank them all the time <laughs> as much as I can because we can't, we can't do it without them. You've made some elite company in, in your career in golf, Megan, but you're also were in the first class of female members admitted to Pine Valley Golf Club, which you actually need to play at your level to navigate your way around <laughs> that golf course. How did that come about? That was, uh, it was an incredible phone call as well, so I wasn't uh, quite ready for that, um, but it's been an incredible journey there for the last year and a half, and the members are just so special, it opened up so many doors um, into the golf world and just very, very honored uh, to be a part of an incredible group of, of people. Well, Megan, this uh, appointment is a surprise to absolutely no one. Congratulations. We're all looking forward to 2024. Thanks so much for the time on this Wednesday.